Pursuant to Standing Order 83-1, I would like to table in both official languages the budget documents for 2022, including the notices. That's what of it sounded like April 7th when Canada's Minister of Finance, Chrystia Freeland, stood in the House of Commons and introduced the Liberals' new budget. As we've reported, it was a budget that had $70 million in it for Canada's Jewish community and a specific focus on fighting anti-Semitism. And most of the money was tied closely to the Holocaust. In fact, the word Holocaust appears 10 times in the budget documents. Most of the money will be for new Holocaust museums and to help support the work of Professor Erwin Kotler's office, the special envoy on preserving Holocaust remembrance and combating anti-Semitism. And way down on page 275 of the budget is a promise that, for all intents and purposes, will make it illegal to deny the Holocaust. Canada would join 17 other countries who already have Holocaust denial laws on their books, like France and Belgium and Israel. The United States and the United Kingdom do not because they think it would impinge on freedom of expression. Canada's new proposed law is already prompting pushback from some commentators for some of the same reasons, but supporters say it's just one of the tools they need to clamp down on rising anti-Semitism. It's been out of control as far as uh, the anti-vaxxers go uh, at uh, promoting hate. And and we see this. I mean, when in the past have we seen so many incidents in schools? I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, April the 18th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. There are two or three sections in the criminal code which experts say already cover anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial. They're sections 318 and 319. Indeed, the government's own website says Canada's criminal code already has some of the strongest provisions in the world about speech that willfully spreads false information that can hurt people. So commentators like the National Post's Terry Glavin and Chris Selly and the Globe and Mail's Robin Urbach have all written about the proposal. They say the new law is redundant. One of them worries it will stoke anti-Semitism even further when haters wonder why the Jews are so powerful that they can get a specific law just for them. And then there's the worry that criminalizing anti-Semitism isn't going to stop it. Just look at France and Belgium. They have laws, but life for Jews certainly isn't easy there. Coming up, Belle Jarnewski of Winnipeg's Freeman Family Foundation Holocaust Education Center will be here to break down the proposed Holocaust denial bill. But first, a little note about Passover. I'm Harvey Engelberg in Normandy, France at the Juneau Beach Museum, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. On Thursday's podcast, I'd invited you to send in your Passover 2022 stories because I wanted to know... Did you meet in person? Were you on Zoom? Did the snow interrupt your plans? How did COVID change things? Stay tuned to the end, and I'll share one of your letters to the CJN Daily about this year's Passover. Meanwhile, at my Seder, all my guests cancelled. Some had cancelled the day before due to illness. Others cancelled just hours before because somebody had been exposed to someone at the gym who tested positive for COVID. I had my table set for 14 and I'd cooked a mountain of food and I'd cleaned for three days. And so I did have a little cry, I have to admit. But then what can you do? So we carried on. Just me and my husband, our two sons were home visiting from school and a grad student came along from out of town. And so it was meaningful, just the same. But oh, do we have leftovers? And Belle Jarneski joins me now from Winnipeg. She's the director of the Freeman Family Foundation's Holocaust Education Center. 
We're here to talk about the Canadian government's announcement in the budget documents. When you heard this in the news, uh, what went through your mind? I was really pleased, especially when I saw uh, the wording of the amendment. Uh, I think that in the current climate of uh, an increase of anti-Semitism, and in particular, Holocaust distortion, the wording which uh, keeps that as well as just Holocaust denial, which, which includes it, is very important. Well, why don't you unpack that for us? Did you have, I mean, you don't have it. Do you have the wording there or do you remember? I, I do actually. By uh, everyone who by communicating statements other than in private conversations, willfully promotes anti-Semitism by condoning, denying, or downplaying the Holocaust. So uh, first of all, by including that language, it makes it clear that Holocaust denial is in fact anti-Semitism. And more so, uh, the wording, the downplaying the Holocaust language, I think is very important because we've seen so much of that these past few years with um, the anti-vaxxers wearing the yellow star. And I cannot tell you how many emails and text messages I have received telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about because they claim that what uh, the, you know, uh, encouraging people to get vaccines or people not being able to go into certain places without proof of vaccination is in fact, in their mind, exactly what the Nazis did uh, to the Jews uh, during the Holocaust. And they speak of, they often speak of experiments and they're comparing the vaccine to experiments. I mean, and this is absolutely a, a diminishment of the suffering of the Jews during the Holocaust. And as the language of the bill says, a downplaying of the Holocaust, because clearly um, to operating on people in horrific ways without anesthetic and, and often uh, killing them is not at all the same thing. Was it a surprise that this was part of the budget documents when we had just heard a couple of months earlier from a private member, a conservative member of parliament from Saskatchewan, Kevin Waugh, about his motion to do almost the same thing. It was, but it's not without precedent either, because if you remember a few years ago, there was another private member's bill to recognize the genocide against the Yazidi people in Iraq. And that also began in the same way and then um, was passed, I believe, unanimously. And so I think that for it, it shows the importance of this issue when partisan feelings can be cast aside and the, the government comes together. I hope that it'll make a difference. Are you looking for actual sanctions, fines, uh, deterrence? What are you looking for? Anything at this point would be very helpful. And when, you know, when we think back a long time ago, for instance, to the Keekstra trial, that was a real issue. That was part of the difficulty because we didn't have such a law. Not only Keekstra, I'm gonna remind you and our listeners about the Zundel trial in 1992. Ernst Zundel was uh, charged with you know, mm -hmm. his Holocaust denial and the criminal, the, the, the Charter of Rights was brought in saying, well, he's actually allowed to say whatever he wants under the freedom of expression, um, even if it's lies and hurtful, it's not illegal. And that he got off 
Well, I think we, we do have to balance the two. Um, you know, as, as you said, that, you know, the, those were, there were tremendous problems in the past prosecuting people who were willfully promoting hate against Jews. And um, the current hate laws weren't sufficient in order to combat that. Um, you know, they spoke of, of incitement, uh, for instance, in the hate laws. Well, just because someone doesn't um, come out and uh, speak of incitement as far as, you know, we should go and commit violent acts against Jews, et cetera, that doesn't mean that it doesn't uh, end up that way. The United States and the United Kingdom both do not have Holocaust denial bills or laws. They, they chose not to because of even Deborah Lipstadt is not a fan uh, of, um, of, and she just was confirmed, I guess, as the U.S. Uh, Holocaust denial czar. How does, what Canada does, how do you put that into perspective? Okay, so first of all, I mean, we know that in the United States, the laws on free speech are, to my mind, a little problematic, because you can say just about anything, you know, the, you know, the, the, the neo-Nazis marching, etc. Now, in the U.K., I would say it's different because UK is one of the only countries that mandates Holocaust education by law. And it is the only um, type of education, you know, that type of education that is mandated by law. Also, uh, the United Kingdom has uh, implemented the IRA definition on anti-Semitism very broadly. There are several universities, there are football clubs, um, the police, you know, the judiciary. Um, and so I think that because they've done that, perhaps it's, it's not as much of a concern as it would be here in Canada, because we, we certainly haven't done that. We haven't mandated Holocaust education. That's an ongoing issue. And we know that by that, that recent poll, that there's so many kids who know absolutely nothing. And yet, on the other hand, 92% of them said that they would like to know more. There are those, including Professor Ruth Weiss and Dara Horn, and those who say that if this is all people know, which is that Holocaust denial equals anti-Semitism, then how do you teach them about live Jews of today? So uh, what, what risks do you see, if any, in having this new law, uh, new criminal code amendment, that will kind of only focus on Holocaust and not the broader racism and anti-Semitism that is happening as well. I, I think it's a start. We do need to move forward, but I do disagree with, uh, you know, as much as I respect both of them, I do disagree with that opinion because, you know, I'll give you an example. For instance, the symposium that we had, uh, we had a Holocaust survivor in conversation with uh, Negan Sinclair. Um, and uh, the Holocaust survivor is 94 years old. He is a survivor of the Warsaw Ghetto. He survived uh, in large part because his cousins who uh, were combatants um, sneaked him out of the ghetto. When he came to Canada, he went to medical school, he became a vascular specialist and he participated on the first open heart surgery in Manitoba. This is an incredible story of resilience and there's so many of them. And, and actually, as we renovate our, uh, we're completely renovating our, our museum, um, this is, these are one of the things we want to focus on. And of course we need to show those stories as well, but um, 
their their story of of what they went through is very important as well. By the way, there's an online survey that Ottawa has open right now on the government website until April 30th. You can fill out your views on how the government should tackle racism and hate. We put the link for you in our show notes. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Jerry Friedman of Toronto. He wrote in about his Passover. And it's not about a COVID Seder. He did have a favorite memory from previous Seders, where everybody was able to have an in-person meal. He calls his memory the fourth child. And it goes something like this. When they got to the part of the Haggadah where we read God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a seven-year-old boy who was somebody's grandson piped up with a profound question. The boy asked, does this mean God forgot us until then? Friedman says questions should always be welcomed at the Seder and taken seriously, and children shouldn't be made to feel afraid to ask them. This Passover, Friedman takes hope from looking at Elijah's cup on his table, For the day that Elijah comes, he says, children and parents will be reconciled, all the disputes will be resolved, and everybody's questions will be answered. 